0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Narrative on a Wednesday evening. It's, it's the 2nd of March. And the news today is not particularly good coming out of Ukraine. You know, we've, we've been saying a pretty good news story out of Ukraine for the last week, but it's turning a little bit. And we're going to take a very sober look at why that's happening, especially around the city of Kiev, uh, and how that uh, siege is beginning to take shape. Uh, and we'll also look at the other advances that Russia has made inside Ukraine today in the last 24 hours specifically. And with us tonight, intelligence analyst Eric Garland. How are you, Eric? Doing great. Thank you. A strategist for the Democrats and others who have once been strategized by her. Rachel Bittenkoffer, how are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's
0: great to have you here. And Michael McKay, our Ukraine expert, is with us again. How are you, Michael? I'm well. Thank you, sir. So I think we're going to start with you because clearly that's where the news is tonight. So the situation is looking a little dire, not that it hasn't looked dire in the last seven days, but it's looking a little worse. You know, we've been seeing a tremendous effort by the Ukrainians to defend their country against the Russian invasion. That is beginning to change a little bit tonight because there have been some advances uh, by the Russians. We've also seen them capture a city of Kershon. Uh, We'll show that on the map in just a second. But that is beginning to be a worrying sign. Tell us a little bit about what you know.
2: Well, you, you say it's uh, dire and worrying and I agree it's worrying, but I would not say it's dire. That's not my assessment. I see this as we're seven days into an offensive that Putin said boastfully would be over in hours, Mm -hmm. Um, and we're at the seven-day mark. And More realistically, if Ukraine was going to be the uh, country that would have submitted to a blitz attack, it would have fallen by day three. But this is not true. It was never going to be that kind of a target. So I see this as the Ukrainians fighting an incredibly smart battle. They're giving way where they need. They're forcing the Russians to extend their supply lines, which have been proven to be a tremendous weak point. Uh, yes, uh, the capture of Kherson was is worrisome. It is the first major city where the center of the city was in control, but it's not full control. And just minutes ago, I saw reports, realistic reports about uh, a counterattack. Oh, so the control good. is not solid. Let me, now, let me clarify is, it then. It like very mind difficult mind. for the Ukrainians because yeah. it's in the south. But you know the the Russian advance is slower much slower than it needed to be from the Russian point of view. It's extended, it's poorly supplied, it still suffers from low morale. And the situation here is not in any way breaking the spirit of the Ukrainian people to defend themselves. In fact, it's
0: increasing it. Right. Let me clarify a little bit of what I meant there by dire. I mean, it's it's gonna be this next phase is gonna encounter a lot more civilian Losses. It feels like
2: it. Yeah, that's, that's true. He's because gone of,
0: from yeah. there's this blitz attack and the Ukrainians will surrender, and now it's I'm going to
2: commit war crimes like Mm -hmm. I did against uh, Grozny in Chechnya in the 1990s. Indiscriminate
0: shelling of cities, of apartment buildings, missiles, you know, things that actually starving a city, trying to starve cities by surrounding them. You know, this is Mm -hmm. stuff that's just crimes against humanity. It's not just trying to beat uh, an army. That is certainly, I would agree, dar is the right word there. Yeah, so that's the thing that concerns me. I mean, it's still, as you're pointing out, very amazing that the Ukrainians have been able to push back so much. You know, it is only Mm -hmm. one city. It is seven days in. That convoy, if it is a convoy, whatever it is that parked on a street in Ukraine. It doesn't seem to be moving very much. That is not a good sign for the Russians because clearly that is a lot of supplies and efforts that, that they're hoping to return to to the forces that are waiting around Kiev and other cities.
2: Yeah. As you say, the convoy is parked. Uh, you're talking about the one that extends from the Belarus border down to Kiev. Mm-hmm. That only works if it's just a clean drive and they drive into the city. Right. But that's not happening. They're parked. All reports are there. They've been there for to now up to three days and they're out of food and they're out of fuel. Hmm. So this is an army that has been defeated or let's not say defeated, but rendered ineffective without being destroyed because right. they're just sitting there unable to fight.
3: I'll go for defeated um, in the sense that um, this is a great military catastrophe. Um, Mm -hmm. The notion that you have this, okay, we're all people of a certain age uh, for y'all who remember the, uh, you know, because we do have some uh, millennials and uh, Gen Z folks who might be watching the show, we hope, off the Twitter. They do,
0: actually. They do. Amazingly. Large large amounts Uh, of them.
3: (laughs) Good, good, good. But, you know, if if they didn't remember, like, the 80s, that, you know, if we ever got into a scrape with the Russians, you know, it might be the last thing we saw. You, right. you know, yeah. you know, we're going to get to. Were you going to get to see the mushroom cloud, or were you going to be part of the mushroom cloud? And you know, then we hit seventh grade dances. I mean, that was just growing up. But here we are. The Russians are as close to their you know home territory as possible in a place that they've had you know all sorts of intelligence agents and special forces. They've half you know invaded since twenty fourteen, and it's a Trafalgar. It's a mm. Waterloo. It's there. It is a disaster. Mm. Uh, you have know, propaganda, of uh, morale, uh, logistics. I mean, it, it is one of the most embarrassing military operations in modern warfare history, and it's almost inexplicable. They're capturing teenagers who, you know, were parked to uh, to hear them tell the tale. They were parked in Crimea. They thought they were <clears throat> doing regular, you know, exercises, and you know they find themselves uh, unequipped and without, you know, as much as trail mix and Gatorade, uh, to invade a country that goes from the equivalent of, uh, Toronto to, um, you know, the Chesapeake Bay.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's a large, so that- large amount of space and people that you might know, friends, you know, might live there. In fact, family members might live there. It's not, not just a country uh, that you're not familiar with. It's uh, it's very close relatives to the people you are, you are.
3: This would not be entirely dissimilar from, you know, a bunch of scrawny kids in Vermont who can't do a hundred sit-ups invading canada yeah right and like we're gonna take quebec and ontario and see how it goes and they have their own consumer grade cell phones on them i don't know if you've seen the videos where they're Mm -hmm. calling their moms the fact that there are regular soldiers this is not even uh wagner group this is not you know randos from isis Mm -hmm. or uh you know the last taliban from belgium to kind of roll in i'm i'm in two guys these are russian regulars this is the russian military that yep. they have consumer-grade electronics on them that had their mom's number in it is an operational security failure that's i don't even know if they've planned for this kind of thing at west point any major army that would be this level of screw up this I, I is actually literally but, but no i want to point out me.
2: something there eric the point is that the ukrainian army did they did plan for this The ukrainians yeah. knew perfectly well mm-hmm. this is what the attack would be like and they had told the Americans, but the Americans didn't believe them, yeah. you know?
3: And is that true? That, and the that, that they
0: would, that, that's still true. I think the Americans would yeah. have, That they
3: would have Samsung
2: phones on them? I mean, that they would attack, yes. And that they would- No, that the, the attack soldiers, would be exactly Russians. like we had seen in Donbass with these, yeah. uh, with, as you said, these, these shabby recruits. No, the Americans kept the idea of a peer force. And that, to me, is a mistake that they did not pick the right information to get to the
0: decision-makers about what was gonna happen. So you're you're talking specifically about the fact that these were untrained soldiers would be coming across, or are you talking about the fact that there was gonna be a potential attack of the whole country? Because that the the Americans
2: did- That there would be no actual air support, that there'd be no supplies, there'd be no provisions, uh, there would be no ammunition beyond two days. Mm. This is everything that the Ukrainians knew and everything they planned for. So their successful defense, which is the flip side of this, Mm. is not to me a surprise at all. Right. I mean, it's surprising to most people who are hearing about this for the first time and say, oh, this is amazing. But I've been seeing it all along for eight years. So, right. Right. They know this territory well. They've been fighting a war for eight years. It's important that people realize this now and fast but the point is the Ukrainians were prepared for it.
0: The thing that's also very different this time around, of course, from the last time is Joe Biden and this incredible array of sanctions and efforts by the world to sanction Ukraine. I mean, I mean, this is an incredible array of sanctions. I mean, not to mention the SWIFT's new sanctions against the oligarchs. Uh, there is no flying over American airspace for Russian warplanes or any planes. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening right now that you know, we're not gonna make the average Russian consumer a fan of this war. Uh, we could talk a little bit about Joe Biden there. And talk that about- puts it
3: pretty mildly.
0: <laughs> yeah, right? Don't take my Apple phone away. <laughs> That's not going to make me mad. Rachel, this was a big deal They're in the State gonna- of the Union last night. Clearly changed the, the tone and tenor of the Biden administration because he you know, was able to address the joint houses of Congress as a real unifier because everyone is really unified, it seems, strangely enough, considering the GOP's passion for the Russians. But is unified in this issue of Ukraine.
1: Yeah, generally speaking, if you get to make a a speech about foreign policy, it's bad for a lot of people, but it's good for you because it keeps you off domestic issues. And generally speaking, we are a unified population. I mean, even with Iraq, we, we think about it as divisive, and it certainly was amongst some, but in terms of Congress, it was not divisive at all. Um, when that vote happened. It was uniform, basically. And we're not used to having to fight a domestic enemy. And that propaganda network that they have, and that's Fox Plus, all of the others, is really undermining national security at at this point. If you don't get a rally around the flag effect, which we don't have right now, and if you would have told me it was possible for Russia... (laughs) For us to go against Russia, it's not ISIS in Iraq. Okay, yeah. this is a major geo. I mean, all of us are Cold War kids. Major geopolitical thermonuclear war stakes yeah. event, right? Yeah. And you just never would assume that you'd have. I. I mean, I probably put the estimate about thirty percent of the GOP caucus believes or is in tune to this idea that Russian autocracy is something to aspire to. I mean, they're talking about it nightly on that network. And, and when people say people show me who they are, I accept it. Right. So that's what they, I they're mean, this is what you've got. It. they're not even normalizing. It. They're glorifying you know, this idea that in you, know, you can walk down the streets of Moscow and not see a gay person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we all know why, right? Yeah. It's so interesting it you're really, saying that it's
0: a national security risk, that these propaganda the networks, networks that Fox risk. News have become yes. actually a national security risk. It's no longer just, hey, you're messing with people's minds before an election. You're actually messing with people's minds during a major national security crisis. And that's yeah, a whole let different me thing. Dig-
1: Let me just expand on that just a tad bit too, especially because I have the ear of Eric and Michael, and and they're both just, you know, way tuned into this. Like, this is why it's a risk, right? Like, if you don't get a rally around the flag effect and this conflict extends, as we anticipate, with, I mean, looks like Putin is going to use a (laughs) Stalingrad. Like, did anyone explain to him, by the way? That like Stalingrad won at the end, so sieging is not necessarily you know going to come out with a good good process. But he, you know, this idea we really need people to understand how fundamentally different that will be for us if we don't have the public, and you cannot have the public if you don't have the Republican voters and their right leaning independence Mm. and those people i'm telling you guys as an expert in public opinion it flows from the top down we set frames okay so there will not be a rally around the flag effect aside from maybe something catastrophic like nuclear weapons are getting aimed Mm. or when republican elites like the fox news channel and other media figures give republican voters permission to support Biden and that I just don't see coming.
0: So the bounce we saw during Bush which was a significant bounce which actually won him the second term, right? I mean, he uh, won in the house in the second term. It was the first term but the second part of his first term. Is, did he win that what year? I think he did win that year, Bush.
1: Well, here's a more good yeah. point, okay? Yeah. After 9/11, mm-hmm. even t- 2000 was a contested election that was decided in the Supreme Court. Right. You could not ask for a more toxic environment prior right. to the current modern thing that we're going through. And yet, after 9-11, those weeks, that month, Bush was at 90% approval, okay? So that means he had all the Republicans and all the Democrats, basically, right? Mm -hmm. And like, uh, you would think, to put this into context, the electorate is different in America. Political behavior has changed. These are quantitative facts. And if this same thing was happening in the 90s, even with Clinton, we would see a robust rally around the flag that's how different the the whole system
0: is wow yeah the landscape Mm -hmm. has changed so much that's really interesting um eric can you talk a little bit more about these sanctions i know you've got a deeper understanding of how the banking systems of the world work and all of that but uh, are they going to do enough damage to putin personally and to the people in power around him Uh, or do you think he's anticipated this with these foreign reserves
3: what foreign reserves? Where?
0: Well, he says he's got 630 billion or something foreign reserves, which was apparently quite a lot for them. And that's what he was going to use to, to you know. How, how are
3: they going to transfer it? They're out of the SWIFT system.
0: Well, that's the complicated. It is. It can't really, they can't really transfer it. Some of it in Russia. Yes. Some of it is not. Some yeah. of it's in, in places like Canada or or other parts of the world, in which case it's really hard to transfer them. But no. 31% is hard in is, is in China. When they, when
3: they sanction, the France has announced this, the United States announces, when they sanction uh, your central bank, mm-hmm. everybody's central banks has a certain reserve, and I believe, for example, in France, it's it's some ten to fifty billion in euros, something like that, worth of rubles that facilitates the exchange between rubles and uh, euros from France, for example. And I think each country would have this in whatever measure to the exchange that they have. There's a, a similar measure between the United States and Russia, etc. But if they come in and uh, seize those and go, you can't get to them. Uh, you can't exchange those rubles for euros and pass them to a Russian citizen who can do anything with them.
0: Hmm.
3: You also, you know, and when you're out of SWIFT, then you can't transfer it anywhere because it's we all these banks use the SWIFT protocol to send. And so they're really messages between central banks so that they can exchange through different currencies on a, on a fixed rate. You're out so it's, this is, it's this going to be this tough this
0: for them to story. get a hold of these things but oh, this is an interesting oh, chart that i found putin just earlier on from statista
3: doesn't have a credit but putin ain't got a credit card he can't buy a hot dog and fries he's
0: done well, this was his he's, plan he was planning for this right this is he thought well he'll was this he? will yeah apparently and this is what he's, i love his plan it just doesn't seem, it seems to have some <laughs> you know, michael do you love his plan
3: it. as much as i do this well the whole please seize my yacht for you know, <laughs> because they took Alisher Usman. I
0: don't think he was anticipating and, it was uh, going to be uh, as order. odorous, but I think he was anticipating some sort of backlash. <laughs> this
3: is and- a weird geopolitical BDSM moment. He just take my uh, <laughs> take all my money, give me moldy potatoes, and freeze all my 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 central bank reserves. I mean, none of I this makes this sense. Plan. None of this makes you sense, You guys like of this course. plan?
0: Yeah. So this is interesting. Look at this chart that I got from Statista, which tells us where the money is. I mean, it's interesting to me that China has so much of their, um, of their central bank reserves. Um, and then it goes from there Spain, Germany. Those are sort of expected. The United States has some of it, too. Though. That's going to be frozen for sure, as most of the stuff, it looks like. it. But the, uh, some of it will still be available to him. I imagine that the Russia-China portions will still be available to him.
3: No, you're missing this. It's still the not going to To sell the gold, he'd have to exchange something. And they they not have to go through a bank in a they, wire. They That's
0: couldn't do Swift. it through. When you're but, out, you're out. There must be still SWIFT um, or some sort of communication available to them between banks. Was they not? I just heard it was no. just three banks that they had no, lost. No, this, this uh, is their, they're, they're,
3: they're, they're clamping down all over the place. And once you get the central bank involved, you know, they're just Spur, you know, Spur Bank, uh, Venetia Conmalm Bank, VTB, all the, uh, there's not, you know. Yeah. No, this is, you're done. Uh, this is why my joke online has been you know acorn hummus coin that's the new crypto that everyone needs to look out for backed by some real tangible assets that um central asia can get behind acorns and hummus and And they have an acorn hummus coin (laughs) based crypto economy right now because (laughs) well and you know if you can't get a hold of the us dollar there's a little bit of a complication now it's minor i don't know if this affects everyone's business or every country necessarily, but you can't buy or sell petroleum.
0: Mm. It's a big deal I don't know if that's it.
3: a problem for some economies, but I, I know some-
0: Some might have a lot have of investments to, there in oil and gas, you might think. you
3: know, They some use it in the shower, it's shampoo, <laughs> or they use it but, to run the- But
2: to put in it into Russian terms, which is something that they're now talking about, if you want to talk about what's lighting up social media in Russia, mm. it comes down to buckwheat. Buckwheat is the is the famine food if you don't have buckwheat is the last thing you have and if you don't have mm. that that's it so and
0: they're talking about that really um, is it gonna be a shortage yeah. of buckwheat because they will be able to buy it and trade it or just because... that's what
2: people well they're worrying about it yeah you know Interesting. <laughs> and if you're worrying about that it's like if we were to worry about bread.
0: Right. You know, like you'd be worried be about the state of mind of your leader. I mean, it just it seems like and how to get him out of power more than any of these other things, because what a stupid move the whole thing seems to have been. You know, there is a big factor going on we shouldn't ignore, is the, the debate around the no-fly zone. I get that we don't want to be at war with Russia, no one wants World War III, but there is a civilian catastrophe on the verge of happening in Ukraine. Uh, at least might happen. And the only thing that people can really think of that would stop that is a no-fly zone. Or is there something else that any of you three can think of that might be as effective? Well, let me tell you what the Ukrainians are asking for.
2: They're asking for a no-fly zone. They're saying, clear the skies, we'll do the rest. And what they're saying is, it's not a question of there will be war or we're declaring war, there is a war. Mm-hmm. We're in a state of international war. And if you think it's just between Russia and Ukraine, you are mistaken. That's not the way the Russians think when they are making this attack. You know, for example, when Putin told his great lie that his invasion was denazification,
1: mm-hmm.
2: he didn't mean that Ukrainians are Nazis, although he does think that. But he was referring to, for example, what he called the revolution of dignity. He called it a CIA Nazi coup. Mm. So that this uprising, this democratic uprising, was sponsored by the United States, the major Nazi power, and you know, and the CIA, and of course, Ukrainians were either dupes or also Nazis. And of course, this and you say this is a, the craziest ideology of all, but it actually motivates him and what he pushes on his people. And and what Russians have been told, you know, with increasing virulence since the start of the Putin dictatorship is that they are at war with the West. Mm-hmm. And when they say Ukraine, it is the West because that's what it actually is. Mm-hmm. If Ukraine is democratic and it is, it is the West. If it is uh, leaning towards the EU and NATO, which it is, it is the West. Mm. You know, it has these ambitions. So the reality of the war, as it's understood by the major combatants, is that it is a war between Russia and the West and that it's an existential one. It's about survival. So the question about, you know, is this declaring war or is this World War III is actually a discussion that is not happening in the central part of the war. It's not a part of that framework. So when Ukrainians say clear the skies, we'll do the rest, they're saying we are in this war and we either fight it to win it or we fail in our responsibilities to ourselves and our way of life. It is at that level. I think that needs to be the framing. So regardless of what justifications you want to put about it, oh, our NATO obligations, which are, by the way, irrelevant, or our fear of nuclear Armageddon, or if we're going to call it World War Three or declare it like that, what you're doing is making a cho- choice to use the United States' most effective power, which is its military power, to save lives now or not use it and cause those lives to be lost needlessly. That is the moral choice.
0: But there's also just a reality that most Americans are not ready to send their kids to fight a war in Ukraine. Uh, and, and I know you're going to no, say it's a no and fly Ukraine zone. Ukraine has
2: and never done. asked for that. Hmm. We'll do the fighting. And
0: they have been doing the fighting. And what they'll there, keep doing it. If there are planes in All the sky that, that are American planes… We're the skies. It would involve fighter jets shooting down other yes. and fighter jets. I mean, that's a, there is war there. There's not like you know, there's Absolutely. no way to get. Yeah, so it's gonna this. The no fly zone would still, and, and there will be casualties and, be and be losses. Yeah. Yes. Necessary losses, you're saying, more. because it's going to save all the people in Ukraine and it's going to let the West win, which is really what's Yeah, bad.
1: but it's not going to happen in a vacuum, right? Yeah. So, like, if it's going to cause fewer people to die, no fly zone, right. and a skirmish happens which is highly likely with a no-fly zone and an aggressive uh, aggressor, right? It's just, you can't make a moral calculation and leave out the other half of the equation, right? Right. So let's say, and I'm definitely curious uh, to Michael's response on this, that you do the no-fly zone, and and I am very sympathetic, obviously, to, to to the need for it. But let's say we do it and there's a squirmish. I mean, the whole paradigm that all of us have experienced in our lifetimes is to avoid a moment where Russia and the United States might engage in some capacity in a hot war in, yeah. in a hot combat because it was believed that that from that you'll have escalation into a real conflict and then if it escalates enough uh, we've got a nuclear world I oh, mean the whole world is armed and aligned in these two, loosely defined alliances between East and West. Right. So, you know, it's just not, of course, I mean, if you focus exclusively on what's happening in Ukraine and the need of those people, the no-fly zone is a no-brainer. Okay. But if you broaden that context, and I think our military planners are certainly are forced to do so and think about potential effects of a no-fly zone, it does broaden the possibility that we end up with a conflict that does entail Russia and the United States militarily.
0: We might land up there. Yeah. We might land up there.
2: You talked about a paradigm. Mm. What is that paradigm? It's a paradigm of the United States and Russia as peer powers. And that is a false paradigm. It's a pre-1991 paradigm. The actual war should follow a post-2014 paradigm, which is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That's what's happening. That's what started in 2014. That is what is being extended now with this offensive that we're seeing. It is the Russo-Ukrainian war, an invasion. We've seen how it's worked. We've seen how it is working. And we can rationally predict how it will continue based upon what's happened from 2014 to today. And that is the paradigm. And the... We're Cold War kids things, kids, as you said, accurately, that's about the audience of this program. But it's not about the major participants in this war. The United States is a bystander, unless it chooses not to be. Okay, And the only way it can effectively choose not to be a bystander is to do the right thing and to meet its obligations to
0: Ukraine. There's also NATO's obligations to NATO. I mean, those countries all are on the border there, and as this war worsens, as we've seen with the refugee crisis that's already building, but you know this uh, possibility that it's going to spread beyond Ukraine is also quite serious.
2: But, and, but neither Russia nor Ukraine are in NATO, right. so that is not. But that is imp- not the it has main impact issue
0: of a NATO. It has impact for us.
2: So Europe. what? Let's talk about what does affect it: mm. the Budapest Memorandum. Mm under which ukraine gave up all of its nuclear weapons mm-hmm. in exchange for security yeah. assur- assurances yeah, from russia nice. the united states and the united kingdom there's something that directly bears on this conflict that is true. and it obliges the united states to assure ukraine's security within its internationally recognized borders so there's something that yeah. actually pertains to this conflict the discussion about nato and the threat of nukes is actually being fostered by Kremlin information warfare to weaken the United States' greatest strength, which is its military power. Do you think the United States should do the no-fly zone on its own? Of course. What has NATO got to do with it? Well, let's any let's country can choose to deploy their armed forces how they choose for their own national security. It's a
0: basic That's principle true. of sovereignty, and based on the Budapest yeah. Memorandum. So that that is true that that memorandum said that yeah, we get your nukes and and we and get to give you security how guarantees.
2: The right. signing parties can carry out their obligations. Right. They could choose to do anything they like. Everyone says, "Oh, we don't have to use military force." Of course, you don't. It's not a treaty. Right. right. But any but country can, can choose to uh, <clears throat> take action to meet their commitments. Hmm.
0: That is a different framework to think about it. That is interesting. To
2: to build on on Michael there,
3: uh, NATO, you've got Article 5 of the North Atlantic Treaty. If there is an assault on one, that triggers the North Atlantic Treaty. And so it's an assault on on all members. Not so with the Budapest Memorandum. However, as Michael points out, it's open ended. And the United States is not limited. NATO is not its only party. It's not its only treaty. Um, you know, we have treaties with, with Canada, we have treaties with Australia and New Zealand and the Five Eyes Alliance and all that. You know, every country maintains its uh, uh, its sovereignty. And we're a party to this Budapest Memorandum. And yeah, we can provide the security. And as Michael points out, it doesn't say how we can do it. A, a no-fly zone is one of the things that we could do to make up our obligations under that agreement to make sure that Ukraine's safe, it happens to be from their neighbor Russia, which is complicated, but not unworkable diplomatically.
2: And I it's the calculation that has been in every conflict and war since 1945.
0: You're right. You have to have this debate. You know? It's one of those things that we have to discuss now. I mean, it's going to happen regardless. It seems you're right in that regard. It's going to be a conversation we have in a week from now or two weeks from now or whenever. We might as well start having it now because it's clearly the, the big thing that's going to be asked for next. And, uh, and we have to get beyond whether we can do this or not, uh, whether we do yeah, it. Yeah, But
1: to be clear, this weakened Russian... Military. Right. Mm. And it is a weakened arsenal because so much of it went to the uh, former Soviet Union countries. And then mm. Ukraine, of course, gave it up. Um, so like it's still, though, enough to end life on earth. <laughs> right? Like, right. So they're weakened in terms, of, I think I've always believed that the, that our military could roll over the Russian military in combat. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why they're luck, you know, they're the most benefit fed in my opinion, world player for the creation of nuclear proliferation and mad because they are so militarily weak compared to us. We would be able to, bossing
0: yeah. around although every time we've so, been into a war in their region we've lost you know so
1: yeah but and, i mean here's the thing though and michael's pointing to crimea mm-hmm. and 2014 which was conditioned i mean both that and the genocide that we allowed in syria both conditioned on the american public not an isolationism right post iraq so you fuck up iraq and then you end up not being able to go in like you would with Kosovo or other places and help a humanitarian crisis. And in Crimea, Michael, we didn't test Russia, right? I mean, at the end of the day, and it's not, not Obama being weak, it's about isolationism and two wars in the Middle East, the public was not would not have supported in any way that intervention there. So we never pushed them before. We have no idea what's going to happen when we push these guys Mm -hmm. and we do know though
2: but we do by seeing what ukraine has done you know Mm. yeah they do push back they do directly fight the russians so if ukrainians can directly do what the united states feels itself incapable of doing who really is the power in this conflict
1: well i agree they've got all the cards they've had us by the balls from the very beginning because of that but they don't have
2: ukrainians do they Right. So I, know, I know, and they and, don't. And you know, he here's the, the thing problem. with
1: Ukraine. Here's the thing with Ukraine's resistance, right? Is, you know, what we have seen in this conflict is something we've never seen before. We've never seen a world economy isolate so quickly and so ruthlessly. I mean, we've really dropped the mother of all sanctions Mm -hmm. on this economy. So, no matter how good Putin's misinformation and propaganda network is, it's going to have to get around the fact that now you want to buy a loaf of bread and 10,000 fucking rubles, right? So, like, I do Uh think we want to be. Cautious in that I think that there is a strategy. I think that strategy is economic level nuclear war against Russia. And it sucks that Ukraine's going through this. I mean, my God, if I could jump on an airplane out there right now and help Ukraine, I would love to do that. But it is an international legion, by the way.
0: Yeah, right. this
1: is not this isn't so, ISIS. I mean, the equivalence is is a conflict with China, right? So it gets complex when you have Two basic frames in the world, you know, the West and the East. The East is aligned and as armed as the West. So you cannot, we don't know what will happen when we go into a combat situation. And Michael, we may find out, right? That, I mean, that's the thing is like, if they start to go in and unleash real unmitigated violence in Ukraine, it's a harder for me. I mean, it's all going to be, it's not 1945. You can see it all on a cell phone now. Hmm. You can, all but of I, it's but I made,
2: made the point earlier that you need to be straight with the Ukrainian people exactly how much suffering are you expecting them to endure right you know before you'll do this mm. because i think you see my point that it's immoral not to do that we've always we've said to the ukrainians stand by for example when the russians came into crimea the americans put pressure on the uh, temporary the emergency ukrainian government at the time not to fight back You know, don't worry, the Russian economy will collapse. But of course, sanctions at that point were a joke, and that didn't happen. And Ukraine had to fight a war in Donbass for eight years, suffering fifteen thousand casualties. And that was ignored. And again, don't fight back. Don't take the offensive. Keep this one sided ceasefire of the Minsk Agreement. These were the demands put upon the Ukrainian people. So I think Americans and other Western partners of Ukraine need to be upfront about the Ukrainians. How much more suffering are they expected to endure?
0: Just to back you up a little bit here, there's a an interesting slide here about the real imbalance between the Russian and Ukrainian uh, military forces here. I mean, we've sort of been told that they are sort of equal in number, but not really. When you look at all the, you know, the breakdown here, the ground forces you know maybe there's some because is obviously the whole forces versus the forces assigned to this particular war but still there's a you know they're way outgunned by russia in every single way Mm
1: -hmm. yeah absolutely i mean that it's terrible
2: (laughs) but then again look at the war that's actually being fought for example you mentioned the attack on kiev Mm -hmm. well experts in urban warfare assess that in this kind of a fight you need a five to one advantage to even have a chance of doing something like a siege and capturing a city. And the Russians are at a 10 to one disadvantage. So it's not about how many troops you have in total, it's how many troops are good for the fight. And, you know, Ukrainians now a nation under arms. I mean, when you've got a country, I read a leaflet today, which was advice about how to attack a Russian military column. Mm -hmm. Let the tanks go through, attack the support vehicles in the rear. How to build yeah. molotov cocktails. use your molotov cocktails yeah now this information is going out to uh 40 million uh, people well that's total population so but we are yeah, I mean, talking that's stunning about really millions about of people the- who can take this advice
0: yeah but the government is issuing advice on how to take on tanks that's what they want their citizenry to do in order to win this war i mean that's how desperate the situation is i don't think that they aren't doing an amazing job but you know, they're asking grandmothers to, to make Molotov cocktails and to run around with uh, the with AK-47s. I mean, it's a lot of ask for a population, which you wouldn't imagine the United States would be asking their population under any circumstance. And it's one that Ukrainians are happy to give, what? happy to meet. Well, I mean, can you imagine a situation where you know, your local family at your high school, they're building Molotov cocktails and going, taking on tanks? I mean, that would be a pretty unbelievable situation. Yes. Yeah, sorry? Yes,
2: I, no, I have I friends and relatives hills doing it right now.
0: Mr. 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 Comments, everybody, you know, you it's to, a it's a lot. Yeah. Sorry, Let's Mr. Stop. Comments there, Eric. I,
3: I was six years old talking about what would happen if the Russians invaded, and and I was, uh, you know, raised on, you know, we'd been in the Vermont hills for two hundred years. No one had ever beat us, and if they ever, you know, took us over with heavy force, that uh, we'd have crack shots on hills they couldn't understand, and we, you know, they'd never take a street corner. So but this is not uh, theory. This is not for, this in, is in, practice. In, practice are not. This is
0: this is reality in Ukraine,
2: this and that's is what Ukrainians are doing. They're taking down the road signs. Uh, mm-hmm. Apple Maps has been turned off. Mm-hmm. What do the Ukrainians need Apple Maps for? Mm-hmm. But the Russian invaders do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Good move. Yeah, that's what you do. Move. But it's still- I here. mean, it's
1: really, it's interesting. I mean, other than Crimea, and I'm not familiar with the area, I'm, so I'm treading as lightly as I can here on this topic. But in terms of Ukraine, right, we're talking, we're not talking about a Middle East, maybe, you know, third world type environment. We're talking about sophisticated, metropolitan, cosmopolitan, technologically current society. And, you know, I do think that they have leveraged those advantages because, I mean, I don't think Putin ever considered like, hey, if you're going to go try to occupy this place physically, because he can bomb it a lot, you can blitz it and kill a lot of people. But if you want to occupy it, you got to demand... Man on. You have to go be in there physically.
0: For long. And I don't
1: think you calculated that you can't go in there Nazi style in the nineteen thirties, forties, and just run over people. You can't. Like there's everything is videotaped, everything is live streamed. And so when these Ukrainians band together and go out on the streets and stand in front of the tanks, that is a 21st century. Okay. And what Mm -hmm. makes it possible is the media and all of the video evidence that's going to be coming out of there. If it it was not for that tech, they would not Mm -hmm. be able to risk their lives that
2: way. But the point 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 about about that that is it means that Putin will never win. And I think the whole world is realizing that. And so now it becomes a question, well, then how long will the war in Ukraine last? It either never ends or it ends sooner Mm -hmm. and that depends upon the level of support we give to ukraine Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it doesn't depend upon the uh ukrainian people because they will fight like hell with everything they've got through generations Mm -hmm. because that's exactly what they've done for generations so that's not the question that's right the only open question is the level of support we give them
0: and how soon do we take that off ramp eric you must have a lot of thoughts about the uh about the no-fly zone but you haven't expressed them yet what are your thoughts about whether we should do it or not
3: You know, I think uh, we're delivering a great number of advanced aircraft to Ukraine. I believe the MiG-29s were being sent over in significant number. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure who's going to be piloting them, but, you know, I think it would be better if we had,
2: you know. The the answer is not for that for now with Ukrainian pilots. Mm -hmm. that they're being uh, repainted right now as Ukrainian aircraft. They're being delivered to to actually Ukraine, and they'll be flown by Ukrainian pilots. So that's the answer as of now. Got it. But as of last I heard, they've not actually been delivered. Okay. So,
3: you know, these are modern aircraft. This is, uh, you know, not flying, you know, 1970s era stuff. I think it's better if the United States States and other countries do not have their hands on the kinetic attacks against Russian troops. I think it's better if all of that comes with our support and then the Ukrainians actually effectuate that, that's the ideal situation. Mm -hmm. If it gets continuously more ugly, there's a humanitarian calculus that will change. That, you know, normally we would want to let the Ukrainians fight this out themselves and support them because they are a democratic nation that's Western looking, unlike their invasive neighbor to the east. However, if this human rights violation stuff continues, which it's Putin, let's assume it will, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe our calculation will change in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. and we can cross that bridge when we come to it. And I'll bet we will. You know, we were already crashing their economy faster than any economy's ever been decimated in world history. And yeah. if you recall, about four years ago, we had an actor, we had a direct peer-to-peer engagement between Russian Irregulars, the Wagner Group, mm-hmm. that was uh, run by uh, Putin's chef there. Why am I blanking on his name?
0: Pregosin, Prigozhin or something.
3: Uh, yeah, Prigozhin. History's going to forget him for the most part. But anyhow, we had 300 of their troops against 100 of ours. And we took zero casualties and they had like six dudes walk back to Russia. I mean, it, it was bad. We have audio of it. We released it. A direct kinetic conflict between Russian you know, irregulars and U.S. regular troops was like, you know, watching LeBron James play a seventh grade basketball
2: team. Okay. But to you bring, know, bring it to this, if this we
3: have to rock these guys, we will.
2: But don't think it's just about what Americans can do. Ukrainians alone have inflicted, as of this hour, a little less than 8,000 casualties. They're reporting after seven days of war that Ukrainian soldiers are suffering uh, psychological trauma because they're killing so many Russian soldiers Mm -hmm. That's you know, the effect on a person for doing that. And that's the Ukrainian army. So that's happening right now. And so we know what their army can do. And Mm -hmm. I have no doubts about what the American army can do. Although again, the Ukrainians are not asking for American soldiers Mm -hmm. to serve with them on the ground. They're just asking to clear the skies. And just one more thing for the humanitarian calculus. It's actually an environmental calculus. Clear the Skies is not just saving civilian lives from bombers, which is one of the weak points of Ukraine's defense right now. It's anti-air. But the largest nuclear power plant in Europe is at Zaporizhia. It is in the process of being besieged Mm. by uh, Russian forces. And I saw uh, some photos and video today. The local people unarmed are blocking the road to the power plant by the hundreds so that the Russian forces can't get to the plant. And just just today, the Russians launched, uh, fired grenade launchers and so on at the crowd. And it's just just horrible. So that is the price Ukrainians are making. Now, you know, what would happen? You don't have to think very hard. You don't need to be an expert. If the Russians started to hit the Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant with heavy artillery, which they can easily do. which they may do, it would cause an environmental catastrophe that would be greater than Chernobyl.
0: Just to back up a little bit here, are you saying that we could do this without U.S. aircraft? I mean, is is it possible to do a no-fly zone using over-the-horizon missiles and uh, whatever the Israelis have, the desert dome thing, whatever they have? I mean, is it possible to protect the airspace without having to commit U.S. aircraft? and pilots of course
2: yeah Yeah, look at the american command and control aircraft that have been flying over ukraine Mm -hmm. for many years i don't think they're flying there now because of the danger but they've been welcome to do that so they know the space very well so there's command and control which is a way to control the airspace there are the um unmanned combat aerial vehicles uh, Ukraine has had enormous success with the uh, Bayraktar drones that have been shipped from Turkey. Mm-hmm. And they've just got a new batch today. And this has inflicted enormous damage on these columns. But what they need help for now is to stop the bombers that are flying from Belarus and more help in bringing down cruise missiles.
0: But they do that over the horizon, a right? ballistic That'd missile
2: once it's launched, but a cruise missile you can bring down.
0: Right. But you don't have to be you don't have to fly planes necessarily. You could use it Right, over the horizon There's other disaster.
2: resources and so on.
0: So maybe so that's the conversation that's that needs to be shifted the to. maybe the connection between you know World War III happening and mm-hmm. the overflow fly zone is maybe not as accurate as it should be. Maybe they should be talking about a new fly zone just being necessary for the humanitarian disaster. It doesn't have to involve American troops per se or american pilots yeah, but, i
1: mean if, if someone violates the no-fly zones that other than these missiles right that we the, might have the Ukrainians and have plates the and what planes. do you do if somebody shoot whether it's fired from the ground or the air if somebody shoots down a russian fire that's violating the no-fly zone then we have escalation
2: Right, but the Ukrainians could do and that, and that it's, anyhow with planes it's the were The territory in. of Ukraine and the airspace of Ukraine and. Right, I didn't say justification, I said es- escalation. And, yeah, right. yeah.
1: <laughs> they're totally different, though. But right? it's going to happen. You're 100% right, Michael, on the morals.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I can't even imagine having to. But I'm saying this it's not escalation, that it's de escalation. So I think we fundamentally disagree there. It is de escalating the war because not doing it encourages the. Russian regime of state terrorism because I I actually
1: agree it would escalate the war directly in Ukraine, probably, but it will escalate it outside
2: of Ukraine, I would expect. But where is Putin's focus? It is on Ukraine. This has been his war all along. As I said, the United States is a side campaign of this. It is not yeah. the central player in this conflict.
1: I mean, I would have agreed with you going into this, the whole run up uh, till they invaded the, maybe even the first couple of days, but now because of what we have unleashed on them economically, I don't know, you know how it is like you care about something a lot until something happens, like you get cancer and then you're like, I care about this instead. You know, I could envision where Putin's concerns are starting to shift, right? To political survival maybe right. actual survival <laughs> if there's a coup right? right you've already you had from the very get-go descent in the streets of russia that is a monumental statement to make people flooding the streets of russia and that was before the financial implications break through the propaganda barriers so it is putin to me of 2 weeks ago is probably making a different calculus than he is today
0: He has to be. There's no way he's looking at a ruble that's worth less than a penny and thinking, oh, I can still do this war. It's just not not feasible. Let's take a look at some videos if we can. I just want to show you a couple of things that happened that are kind of interesting just to illustrate what's going on. So So this is a Russian uh, soldier who surrendered, making contact with his family. Um, on a Ukrainian phone there from mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Eating food, I think, for the first time in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a while. This is an old woman who is actually in the middle of the protest in Russia. Uh, she's, I do she does not look, too, you know, she's probably over, over 80 or 90 years old. Maybe not maybe not that much, but still, she's uh, been taken away by police. A terrific LNR thing. This is what uh, State TV LNR looks like. DnR Они ведут себя как фашисты в самом прямом смысле.
2: Нэунацисты ставят военную технику уже не просто рядом с жилыми домами, а там, где в подвалах укрыты дети.
0: So that's what the Russians are being told, um, you know, that they're, you know, fighting fascists and they're liberating this the area of the Donetsk uh, People's Republic, whatever they called it there. I mean, that's a they're getting told a very different story than we are being told, and yet they're still out there in the streets protesting. And most Russians, I think, are still opposed to the war quite dramatically what's your sense of whether that could lead us anywhere, Eric? I mean, we've spoken a lot on the show about Navalny. We've spoken a lot about, you know, regime change in Russia. Is there a possibility that this thing could ignite an uprising of some sort in Russia where uh, Navalny could be, you know, freed for one thing, but also, uh, you know, real contestant for power?
3: I can't speak as to the uh, the situation around Navalny as a future political leader, but uh, as far as the taste for a political change, when you take out the economy underneath any society, uh, the political calculus changes pretty quick. Rachel's yes. pointing out uh, what happens when something really basic and important, you know, a really ugly x-ray or a red letter from the IRS, kind of a change in life, uh, you know, Tends to change priorities real quick. Yeah. When your currency is no longer traded on the world market, <laughs> and you've got Acorn Hummus Coin. Yeah. And you want to talk about like people were had like some imbalance between like Diet Dr Pepper and regular Diet Dr Pepper in this country for like four days, and they're like, oh my god, they're trying to get rid of Biden, and yeah. there's trucks and ports and something, and no, it's like, yeah, yeah absolutely, a couple things happen. Yeah. This is that, but like real, like mm-hmm. where you run out of you know uh, industrial lubricants you've never heard of, or tungsten, or all the things that make an actual economy go. Uh, your currency is no more, then you don't have that, and then your jobs go away, then your food goes away, and then your president goes away.
0: Yeah, or to. you know,
3: because you only look. Every civilization is about seven meals away from anarchy. It's
0: an interesting. You point. About seven
3: meals.
1: Oh no, he's I mean, he's definitely changes. right. <laughs> People don't realize what happens in war. With like starvation, killed more people in World War II, actually, than anything else. I believe. I mean, mm. maybe not the six million Jews, but it was a lot of people. I mean, mm. no, definitely more people. Right? Yeah. No, <laughs> and, I mean, is when you can't eat. Desperation sets in quick, really quick, and then as that escalates, if that starts to happen in Russia. And it could well finally happen because of what we've done. Putin is going to become very, very hot in his seat.
0: It also is going to draw them closer to China, which is interesting.
3: Especially as we start, we, the United States and other countries that are doing the same thing with sanctions, the more that we expose what kind of assets that the Russian oligarchs have. Hmm. That, I would be surprised if our, uh, you know, various uh, information organs don't beam that uh, out as loud as possible so that Russian citizens can see just exactly where their country's wealth has gone. Right. We're already taking, you know, a few $800 million yachts off off the seas. Yeah. But what's going to happen when they realize just how much money that uh, Dmitry Peskov and, you know, all Bravo. the Sergeys, and, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, it's yeah absolutely hope,
3: um, well yeah, it starts with, yeah, he's got a soccer team he has to sell, but how many apartments does he have? 25, 72,
1: 172.
0: How, how many he get that? How did he get them? And Why 50
1: he in Miami yeah. and 10 in London, right? I mean, they have germinated, and I definitely don't want to use Anchor Baby, right? But they are. They're Anchor Baby real estate, and China's right there with them, right? And like yeah. we look at the housing crisis in the oh, U.S., yeah. and all we ever talk about is, oh, oh, it's this and that. No bullshit, dude. It's all these foreign investors investors buying shit exactly up cash. exactly remember? that's the
0: biggest problem in the American economy <laughs> and let's leave everyone with this uh, incredible image because it's really uh you know it speaks for itself this is a a mother's uh, tweet saying goodbye she's going to war to her son as he's uh, on her I guess fatigues and her crew and her uh things that she's taking to the front or wherever she's going I mean it's really heartbreaking it's uh this is what we're talking about in Ukraine mothers are leaving their kids behind, their babies behind to go and fight this war. It's not, uh, it's everybody's war in Ukraine. And it's really a heartfelt image and she hopes she sees him again. say on the other side, if she survives, I mean, really it's just, uh, what a choice to have to make, you know, and it shows you how committed they are to the battle for democracy.
1: It's a choice people who have experienced freedom will make every time Mm -hmm. before they go fall back into despotism
0: really is a reminder to all of us, isn't it, in America that there's a, you know, how valuable the freedom is. Because once you, you look how close these, you know, the seven days, this, their freedom has disappeared from them to some extent. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, right. And, and exactly, you know, now they're gonna fight the one, for it. They're gonna fight for it in the most right. unbelievable way. I, I mean, way. the
1: one good thing is that Americans are seeing how fast a, a civilization can fall mm-hmm. to tyranny. And what happens when you have an autocrat? When you have an autocrat, if he wants to go invade the neighbor, even though they're all related, right? I mean, they're killing. No wonder they need counseling. They're killing their own relatives, mm-hmm. right? You know, the autocrat decides. So autocracy is nothing to aspire to.
0: And if we had uh, that Amen. kind of horror happening here, we'd want a no-fly zone too.
1: Amen.
0: <laughs> Just to bring it back up to you, Michael, that, you know, it's when you think about it in those human terms, if you're involved in that war and you've got your family under that kind of threat, you'd want a no-fly zone and you wouldn't think very much about asking for it Absolutely. from your allies.
2: Yeah. yeah, and we'll work on the international uh, law agreement and sign that later. Right, right.
0: Any th- other thoughts from you, Eric, before we uh, wrap up here tonight?
3: We live in interesting times. We sure do. Take care of yourselves.
0: We <laughs> sure do. Eric Garland can be found at Eric Garland on Twitter. And anything else you want to share with the, with the audience? You can tell them where they can find your stuff. Meaning you're- yeah,
3: Google me, there's stuff around.
0: Yeah, there's also Patreon accounts importance and, uh, and various other things, including a podcast on your Patreon. Isn't there a podcast on your Patreon? Wasn't there one today?
3: Yeah, yeah. back up and running and uh, yeah. yeah, so-
0: There you go, interesting.
3: Talking lots of places.
0: Uh, that's good. Rachel Bittercoffer, uh, tell everyone about your pack and uh, how brilliant you are as a strategist.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, my focus is on pro democracy work. And unfortunately, in America, we've got one party that's all in on democracy still and small L liberalism, and the other one that's fractured on it. So, right now, a lot of my work is focused on keeping the Republican Party out of power until they can fix their family issues.
0: It's a good mission you have there. And people can find the pack at, uh, remind me again, it's at.
1: It's at StrikePack and my Twitter handle is at Rachel Bittacoffer, not bittencoffer. Oh my god, I
0: think
1: I'm sorry.
0: I'm so sorry. Oh
1: No, it's cool, dude. Oh <laughs> uh,
0: man. Well there you go. I tried I tried today. Made a mistake. Sorry about that, guys. And Michael McKay, you're at M H M C K. At M H A M C K. Got it. All right. Well, so thank you all for being here tonight. It's a really interesting conversation. I think it'll really help people understand what's going on in Ukraine to a great extent, but also really start thinking about this no-fly zone. It certainly seems like it's the issue that will be continuing being front and center of this conversation around how America can help the battle to defeat Putin in Ukraine. So thank you for being here tonight, all of you, and thank you for being here at home. We will see you again on Friday. Have a good night, everybody. narrative is made possible by viewers like you join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative that's patreon.com forward slash narrative